They might not do it the first time. It might take two goes or three goes, but it doesn't matter. Most people never did anything straight away. Most people, Edison, the light bulb, how it was like a thousand times. We just brush away other people's successes and think they did it overnight. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Hillary, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm definitely excited to have you on because, uh, again, like one of your specialties is like overcoming challenges, right? Like bouncing back from hardship. So you do have your book. So why don't we actually start that off with Three Wines In. Like, Tell us about uh, the book and how you end up writing it. Well, I love working with women. I have worked a lot with women in the past. The book how do you feel after you've had three drinks yourself, three beers, three anything? Most of us feel like we have a little bit more confidence and we do things we don't normally do. So we feel excited or we feel just so much more confident. And it's it's wanting for wanting people to understand that you can have that level of confidence without having to have wine. Don't get me wrong. I love a glass of wine, but we can't be drinking wine at 9am in the morning when we need to feel confident going into a meeting or doing something new or for some people just, you know, entering a gym or whatever. So the book was written around that, but it was inspired by oh, I'd gone through a terrible relationship, absolutely horrific. And I was left with no confidence. And I don't blame that person for, I don't even know, it's hard to explain how I want to say that because I've got to take ownership of that myself, but it was really bad. And I was just left almost like a shell. And I'd been a really confident woman go-getter all my life. And then I just became someone who didn't even know how to wear their hair and I wouldn't drive a car. So I'd gone from hugely confident to not confident and I rebuilt myself. And it's weird because in the past I'd always been about helping people achieve what they want. And so that's why the book was just, it was, it was kind of a natural progression. It happened. I started writing it, it took four and a half years to write, but it was also probably a bit of a healing process on the way. So it, t- it took you four years to write it, right? So like walk us through the creative process in terms of like how you got from like A to B with the book. Ironically, we were on holiday, my partner and I, and we were sitting at a winery down in the Hunter Valley in, in New South Wales, Australia. And we were just sitting outside, having a glass of wine, watching kangaroos jump outside. And you've got to remember, I'm from New Zealand. So that's an unusual thing for me to see kangaroos just out there bouncing about. And as we were just relaxing, he said to me, you should write the book three wines in. And I thought, what a great idea. And that was the end of the holiday, basically. I was gone. I started crafting out how it would be. And I knew it needed to be a story because I wanted to have many true stories in it. So it's full of true stories, but it's all one story. So it's a story of four women who go to lunch and they all, they do it once a month and they talk about their problems with each other. And I wanted every message in there to be something that people would connect with. You'll read it and think, oh, that's so me. That's my neighbor. Oh, my mum does that. I wanted the story to be like that. So we can understand that we're all exactly the same and we all have the same challenges and we all have the same fears and we all have the similar desires. And then it walks through how one of the girls had already done something and become more confident. And she tells the others about it and they all go ahead and just change their lives. So it's almost fiction and nonfiction at the same time. And the process, I don't even know, honestly, 
it just came out of me. I don't know. I don't have a writing process. I've not really written proper books before. I've, you know, done eBooks, but it, I actually don't know. <laughs> it just came out. It was inside and it came out and it turned out pretty good. I have really good feedback. So I'm excited. What, what's one of the main messages that you want people to get out of your book? It doesn't matter where you start in life, what you've done, what you've achieved, what you haven't achieved, where you are right now, you can change by drawing a line in the sand and just creating the future you that you want. You can be whoever you want, do, be, or have whatever you want. It's the line in the sand and go do it. So one of the big fears that a lot of people have is like they've already um, called the sunk cost fallacy where like you've gone so deep into like a specific career, a specific venture that you don't know if you want to switch because that means they have to start over. Uh, so for a perfect example is let's say uh, someone is in marketing and they want to do something completely different. Uh, maybe they want to do coaching, right? So it's a completely different field. So they're afraid that they have to start over from scratch. Uh, so what's your thoughts on that? Personally, I love change. So we don't have to necessarily look at life as ending one thing and starting another. Everything you did in the past that was useful, you can take with you. And I'm sure that past career, whatever you did, there would be nuggets of gold and so much learning that transfers into coaching. So I just believe that we just become older and wiser and you've just got more wiseness. I also think that whatever you choose to believe is true. So if you believe that it's going to be difficult to do that, well, then it'll be difficult. But if you believe that it's possible for you to do that, then it's possible. It's all about whether you put the rose-colored glasses on or the dirty glasses on as to how you see the future. So ultimately, it's all about mindset, right? Like you can make a lot of um, excuses, but those are limiting beliefs. Like nothing's really stopping you from making a change. It is all about mindset. That's pretty much the basis of everything I believe in and have said all of my life. We're all stuck somewhere. We're stuck in a body. We're stuck in a relationship, a financial situation, a life that we're not happy with 100%. But we choose to stay there because a lot of us don't want to change. We would prefer to stay where we don't like it than go somewhere that we're not sure about. And it's just such a shame. And when you get that support and encouragement or just believe that it's possible for you, then life's just different. That's another thing I'll talk about in terms of um, comfort zone, right? A lot of people want to make a change, but they like the comforts. They want to stay in their comfort zone. But we all know uh, the longer you stay in the comfort zone, the more it shrinks because things always change. Things always evolve. And if you're wanting to stay in your circle, it's going to get to the point where it's so small that you end up being not valuable in the marketplace. Yeah. Do you know, I've never heard it said that your comfort zone shrinks, but you're right. That's the first time I've heard that. that is a, that's a piece of gold. See, you've learned something new. I agree with learning to step outside of your comfort zone. I think it's just necessary to be successful in life and to have a happier life. Because like you say, it's shrinking or it just stays the same. And there's so much more on the outside. And I, I love the analogy of the baby elephant. You know, when they're born and they've got that rope and they're tied to the pin, they're just limited by that rope and they stay there. But as they get older, they don't know that they actually have the power to pull that out and they could carry on. And that to me is a comfort zone. They're just stuck there and we just get stuck in comfort zones and it becomes a habit. The more you challenge yourself just a wee bit at a time, the easier it becomes to step outside of our comfort zone. And we don't have to do big things. We can just start by small things. And, you know, the aggregation of marginal gains, constant small things is massive. Yeah, it's all about taking those, you don't, you don't need to take a huge leap. You can take small steps and then that compounds over time to that big result you're looking for. Yeah, that's exactly it. So how about yourself in terms of the, your upbringing? When we talked offline, you have ran multiple businesses. Uh, so why don't you tell us more about like your first endeavor into uh, entrepreneurship? 
I suppose we could start with, and I'd never thought of it until you asked the question. It's funny how you're provoking my brain in a different way. I renovated my first house when I was 18, and that was probably the beginning of doing something that made me money. And that, that was probably the first of it. But when it comes to actual businesses, I, I just realized I'm, I'm also a personality profiler. So I'm a high DI, which I call a high captain clown. So I need to have fun and I need to be running the show, like quite a f- strong, dominant, looking for goal orientated, just on a mission in life to achieve stuff with fun on the way. So they're my two drivers. And that doesn't make me the best employee because, <laughs> because it's, I'm not so easy, uh, you know, not living by a lot of rules doesn't really work for me. So I just had a couple of jobs when I first left school, but then I decided to, I became a single mum and then I decided to make some major changes. And that's when I went into teaching fitness classes. I became a personal trainer. That's the start of running my own business. Then I became a nutritionist and that all evolved, which got me into coaching because I realized it wasn't about the diet or the exercise. It was about what was going on in their head. So I trained in that field. And I think for me, that was the beginning of becoming an entrepreneur following that. Then the Pilates thing happened globally. And every time I had to fly to another country to train because New Zealand just was a little bit behind. So I'd come over to Australia, do my training and then go back to New Zealand and probably a bit of a um, early adopter on most things. So I opened a couple of Pilates studios, the first in my town, and then I sold those. And oh, during that, I started manufacturing the Pilates reformers because you couldn't buy them in New Zealand. And it was at a time when importing them was too expensive because I would have had to have imported 30 and it was too new yet. You could probably do that now and it'd be fine. So I started making them and then I started selling them to hospitals and physiotherapists and gyms and, and other people and private clients. And then then I found that people like physiotherapists, they didn't know how to teach Pilates. So then I started a training school where I started teaching them how to do it. Everything just evolved from the next thing where there was a gap in the market, I would do that. Then there'll be a gap in the market and I would do that. And it was just an evolvement from pretty much starting out as an aerobics instructor, everything, you know, aerobics instructor, personal trainer, nutritionist, Pilates studios, and then the manufacturing company and then the training school. Alongside all of that, there was always property. So I was always renovating and selling a property, renovating and selling a property on the side. Then I ended up having managing people's properties, like a property manager, but just for a group of friends. So I looked after about eight to 10 properties and then they ended up, it was before Airbnb, it was book a batch in New Zealand at the time. So I sort of ended up managing cleaners to come in and I don't know, I just ended up, it just was an involvement, which is kind of crazy, but that's how, that's how it worked for me. And now I'm a property developer and speaker and author. So there you go. And I coach property developers. Yeah. The one thing that you brought up is you didn't have a perfect idea. You had to reiterate as you started getting into the field, so to speak, and you were able to identify various gaps in the market. And then you filled that gap and you kept doing it and doing it until you had a winner. Uh, a lot of people, they want to have this uh, perfect idea right from the start. But in your example, you don't really need a perfect idea. You just need an idea that's valuable to the market. And then as you start doing it, you notice that there's other demands and wants from your target customers. And then you can start identifying those opportunities and start growing your business. Yeah. Always around helping people. 
So, and a lot around in the health and fitness industry and in the property game, pretty much just those two industries because they are things that I am passionate about. So they're, they're still my passion. And then always just evolving and growing in those fields because even my coach training, I've done business coaching, et cetera, but that it was just the continual study, always start studying about how to help people be better, how to help people achieve. Yeah, always, always along in those fields. And on the way, having my own rubbish happen as well. So it's kind of, you know, dealing with life and having children and being a single mum and, oh, crikey, you know, just doing it all, doing it scared. Speaking of doing it scared, a, a lot of people are scared to start something new, right? For example, like starting a business or starting a new career path. Uh, so what is your advice for those people that are trying to jump out of their comfort zone and get into unfamiliar territory? You have to have a huge amount of self-belief and you have to have accountability. I think having worked as a coach for so long, and no, I don't take on clients anymore, so not me, but you need to put the good stuff in. You need to have people supporting it. Like I still hire coaches myself. For me to achieve what I want to achieve, I need somebody pushing me before. Like I need someone behind me pushing me so I make it happen. And I think we, we need accountability we need really good people behind us. We need that team of support. I've got my partner's fantastic. My daughter works with us full time. She's great. We've all got quite a, a knit and there is that encouragement at all times. And I think people have to have self-belief. You have to start with that and then you have to have the support. And if you are one of those people that always want to, I don't know, maybe not invest in yourself. I think that you just make the, the road slower and longer. I'm not going to say you won't get there, but I think it's slower that way. Can you elaborate on that? The slower road? Oh, the slower road, I think because of the industry I'm in now. So the slower road is if you don't, for me, I wanted to improve my speaking. So I not only go to Toastmasters, I then hired a speaking coach to get better at speaking. Somebody who is already doing it very well. That's one. If I go to the gym, even though I used to be a personal trainer, I've done bodybuilding. I'll still hire a personal trainer to push me to do those extra two that I won't do uh, to improve. When I was writing my book, I hired a coach in America who had already done it and just to get her process. And for her, she was more around getting me to elevate my thinking and believe in myself a bit more. Not, not that I don't, I think she just rah-rahed me. She just kept telling me that, you know, these are your strengths, go to them, push them. I just believe that making those personal, personal investments in yourself means that it's possible and faster than if you do it alone. Because I, I hadn't had the help from the people that I hire. And I, I think you got to pay to play, really. That's what I'm saying. You, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but if you, and you don't have to do it at the extremes that I do, but if you really want to achieve something, I do believe that you're better off getting a coach to support you. One of the things uh, I, I had this mindset when I started where you're trying to grow a business with no money, as in like you try to do everything organically. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think initially it's good because then you have a proof of concept. It doesn't make sense to invest tons of money into something that you don't know if it's going to work or not. There does come a point where you have to pay the play, so to speak, right? In terms of social media, organic reach isn't as good as it used to be in the heyday, right? So you do have to like supplement your organic content with paid ads because if you just do organic, it's just not going to get the results you're looking for. So, so my my question to you is like, for someone starting out, and again, it's already a scary uh, situation, and already investing a lot of money in a coach or additional help, which we both know when you do 
hire help, you tend to get the results faster because there's accountability and expertise. Uh, so what's your opinion uh, or advice for someone who's a bit scared to spend money, so to speak, to get to that next level? And I do get that not everyone has the money initially, but when you do, I think that you should invest in yourself. I think then I'd go for the support of people who are willing to support you. I'm currently working with a young lady. So I do work with two people outside of property development a year. And I'm working with a young lady who wants to learn to be a coach. And I actually sent her to where I did my training and she came back and said, no, I want you to teach me. So I've been working with her and she's about to launch a uh, her first masterclass. And same thing, it's on a budget. So I've taught her uh, you know, how you can go and outsource to places like Upwork to get help. And I think initially it's okay in that situation to not have a huge budget, if at all, and just test the waters and see how you go, practice what you want to do. And then when you're ready, you do need to step into paying to play. Did I answer that right? I think that to grow you, you actually do have to put, it doesn't have to be huge, but you're going to have to put some ad spend behind, or you're going to have to find people who will help you for nothing. In fact, I'm probably helping her for nothing right now. So that, you know, there, there are people around who will do that and find people who have credibility and will help you. In fact, yesterday I talked to a friend of mine and she, she has a, a person wanting to set up businesses to get a couple of testimonials and he, he's coming from a different field like a life change but he's that's his expertise is technology and I said oh I've got just the person so I've actually sourced for her somebody to get a lot of that work done for nothing which is you know really helpful I think if, if you are keen enough you will find a way the other side of the spectrum with the money is that if you have a lot of money, you might be more careless with it compared to if you have a tight budget, you're going to be more resourceful and be more creative in providing a solution. For sure. I definitely agree with that. As far as my book goes, we've stopped all work on that at the moment, rolling into Christmas. Our, the other business is 90% of my time. That's 10% of my time. And so that's how it is for me. You know, I'll, I'll create a plan for next year and move forward, but it's being okay with where you're at as well. I'm fully okay with that. You know, I don't want to burn myself out anymore. So it's being comfortable with where you are. And as, I think as long as you're clear on what you want and you have a plan about what you want to achieve and you're heading toward it, then I think you'll be fine. Speaking of um, how you said you, you basically like wrapped up for the, this year and you're getting ready for next year, what was some uh, advice that you provide for people in terms of planning their New Year's resolution to help achieve their goals? I'm really big on reflection and not wallowing in the bad stuff, but reflecting on what you did well and what you didn't achieve that you wanted to, and then just looking at how the year went. So that's big for me right now, just looking at how my year went. And then I won't goal set until mid-January. I don't like to fall into that hole of uh, the New Year's resolution thing. So come mid-January, I will sit down and decide uh, what I'm going to achieve for the year. I have a book I've written in uh, 2004 and it has the same, like every year I just go to a new page and I love looking back at that because some of the things I've ticked off, I'm like, boom, what the heck, I've done it. Uh, and it's pretty exciting. So I'll sit down mid-January and create a plan around all the important areas in my life, what I would like to achieve. And then I just break it down, just like a, a real goal setting thing. Yeah, I, I just actually goal set for myself. Got it. Okay. So what has been uh, one of your big accomplishments this past year? Ooh, the crazy thing is I've ticked off three big ones this year and it's left me in a place. So I'll be completely honest where they are. I'm not sure because I've ticked off the big ones that have been around for a while. I'm 
a little bit, okay, I, I need some new direction. So I, the book was a massive one, four and a half years. So that was massive to get done this year and launch. I had a great launch party. It was great. Uh, the second one was my podcast, Bounce Back Better. I have, because we already have a second podcast, which is huge in pro- the property development space in Australia. But this was my own one around mindset and all the things that the book's about. So that was important for me to do. And I do that with consistency like you. It's not something I do, uh, you know, three of and then stop. It's like, it's a weekly thing. I'm good to go. That was number two. But my third one was I finished a property development and it was a massive delays because of COVID. Uh, It's on the other side of the country. It's a four pack. I mean, it's four units. One's mine. It's a a huge accomplishment for me to have finally completed that. So that's three big ones for uh, 2023. And now it's left me thinking, um, what's next? You know, I actually spoke to a coach friend of mine yesterday and I said, I think I'm going to need a session with you just to give me some clarity so I don't fall into old behaviors, which we all do because they're easier. And so I'm clear about what it is that I do want to achieve. And I, one, I don't pick something too hard or too easy, but it is something I want for me. So yeah. Speaking of uh, the book that took four plus years to publish, a lot of people listening to this podcast might think, man, four plus years is a long time to achieve a goal, right? They, everybody wants things instant. So what's your, what's your thoughts on that in terms of like having long-term goals, but also having some short-term wins so you don't end up not feeling fulfilled because I, it's this big goal that you're trying to achieve, but it might take longer than you expect. And then what tends to happen is if you don't see immediate results, they end up giving up. Yeah. It, the thing is, it was it was done on the side because we have a, a huge business, you know, and in, in between that time, we've built online courses in the other business and done so many. I've got so much other stuff going on in my world that I was okay with that. But also because the book talks about real stories and a lot of them were mine, I the reason I stopped quite a bit of the time with the writing was because of the, I'm going to say trauma from the domestic violence. So the, I did experience something pretty bad and it was quite hard. I had to stop sometimes. I couldn't, I would read something and it'd make me break down and cry because it was even saying it now, it's quite emotional having gone through that, that I, it just left me quite broken. And it was, so I couldn't keep writing. I'd write for a bit, then I'd just have to stop because I couldn't deal with it. One of the characters is because the people are all, but the characters are all real people. They're, they're a combination of two people because I'm a personality profiler. So I want to make sure that everyone connects with somebody when you'll pick out your personality without realizing. So one of the characters was a girlfriend of mine and she passed away during the writing of the book. And so that meant I was dealing, I couldn't carry on for a while. So I probably stopped for another six months. And so even though I wasn't ticking off the book goal, there were still so much, so many other goals going on in the background in our other business in the property development space. And so it's not like I wasn't ticking goals. It just, that one was slower because of the journey I think I had to go through. And then when I got so close to finishing, I just hired a publisher to push me to do the end. And she just pushed me that I locked myself in the house for about six days and finished it. What's the book was done? What was your launch plan? Because people who are listening right now, whether they're starting a new business or they have a new product or new service uh, getting ready to go, they usually want to hype it up to have that launch. So what are some key components to a good, successful service or product launch? There was money behind that, definitely. And I did an online book launch because where I live, I don't really, I haven't been here too long and I didn't have a huge amount of people, but I wanted to have a lot of people. So I did an online launch and I had 80 people on. So I was pretty pleased with that. It was pretty good. And because I'm from New Zealand, there were uh, New Zealanders on and people from all over Australia because I work with people 
from all over Australia. And so there was, I hired uh, a young lady from Melbourne. I should, I should remember her business name, but I've forgotten her name, Stephanie. But I hired her to help me because even though her background was clothing, she sort of helps us sometimes with marketing in this business. And I have my daughter as well. So we sort of got together and created the plan. There was socials around it and I just did an advertising campaign, you know, click here to join and sent out, you know, the information. And then on the night I, I did a personality program profile, went through it all. I didn't went for an hour, had a glass of wine, talked through the book, not for too long, maybe 10 minutes, talked through the personality profiling, which people like, did a couple of live coaching things. And yeah, I kind of, I sold it as a great event as in not, I didn't sell people to come. It was, you know, anyone could come on it, but I was pretty pleased with how, how it went, but yeah, there was an advertising spend behind that. And I'm not even sure what that was. I probably should know. (laughs) So overall you say you're happy with the launch. The other aspect of it is like, from my experience of just seeing other like coaches, uh, they have this huge launch, they have a lot of buzz, uh, but then it, it dies down after a certain period of time. So how do you keep that momentum going once you have a successful launch? Yeah. So the idea behind the book, well, I, I want to change really to go into a more motivational speaking role. And so I do a few speaking events and people buy it from there. And then because I went through a publisher rather than self-publishing, it means it can go into bookstores. And that the fact that I can do that has a different reach. And I think that's a bit of a key thing for people because the average bookstore isn't going to take on a book. But otherwise, if they take on every person's book that, that's written, they've got many people to pay. But if you go through a publisher, they'll take it on board. So I've that's been it's worked in my favor. I had an email from somebody, somebody purchased it yesterday or the day before from New Zealand off my website because people can purchase it through bookstores. And I emailed this lady back because I wondered if it was through a wee niece that I have over there who might need some support. And she said, oh, I said, oh, are you buying this for you know my niece? And she said, no, no, I just read about it in the newspaper. And I thought, wow, so there's a story in the newspaper that I don't even know about in the country that I'm from, but not even the town that I'm from. So moving forward next year, I will definitely do some more social media work on it. Our, my community itself, we have a huge database and they've been really supportive. Every, many, many people have bought it, you know, so it's been exciting. And I think next year I'll just put some energy behind it a bit more, but things like this, like this sort of thing is great, you know, because people find out about it. I've been on a few other podcasts and people purchase it once they hear about it. Again, there's not one specific tactic that will take you over the hump. It's a mix of things like the podcast here, just uh, the story about you in the newspaper, running ads, going to the professional speaking circuit to promote your book. There's many avenues to uh, help promote whatever product or service you're selling. Uh, so it doesn't have to just be the one thing. Yeah, correct. Have you written one? Uh, me? No, I haven't written a book. I haven't written a book. <laughs> Is it time for you? No, no, not yet. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe later down the road, but uh, not at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, what made you decide to write the book? Because there's a lot of people out there that they may not think their story is good enough, but you thought you had a good story to share. So you wanted to write it in a book form. So what was the idea behind writing that book? I just think that so many people cap their life. So many people have so much more, not so many, everybody has way more potential. And you know that you get to speak to some amazing people. I've you know, listened to many of your podcasts now that we all have so much potential and we we hit one roadblock, we keep going, we're going good. Might hit another roadblock, slows us down a little, hit the third or fourth and we actually stop and give up on our dream. And then we just end up settle for mediocre. We get one life. And I think we need to have, do, or be whatever that is. 
and whatever we want, we need to be able to strive for. So that was the thing is potential. You know, we have so much. And I think we need reminding of that. So I've just made it an easy read. It's not complicated. It's really simple. You're not going to read anything you don't know. You're just going to connect with it and think, oh, I can do that. I just really want people to understand that they can do it. And it's just really about believing in yourself, committing, making lots of small changes, changing habits, goal setting, understanding your mindset, understanding self-beliefs, understanding your values, understanding that the people that are around you are affecting you in some way. So make sure they're the good ones. It's just common sense all put together in a story. So the reason I wrote it is so everyday people, if I can just help I'm not going to use the old cliche of one person. If I can, if a hundred people, how good would that be? Just to, to make a change, to make a change and smile a bit more and feel happier. That would be, that's what it's for. Yeah. A, a lot of people who, who start something, they want this, they want to reach like thousands of people, right? But my, my thing is like, it's better to impact a small group of people that really resonate with you because they try to help like the masses, right? Because your advice might not be helpful to uh, a certain amount of people, but if you have like a good tribe or good uh, collection of fans that, that always support you, that tends to be more rewarding than trying to like target the masses because the masses are a bit finicky in terms of like what they like one day and then they might like something else the next. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't, I never really look at that side of it, but yeah, I suppose that's right. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't, what you think of me as your business, you know, with there's someone for everyone and I might be the one for you. That's kind of the same way of saying it and it's sort of in a summary, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But what are some like other like challenges that you had to like face to get to where you are today? Well, my first one was um, that I was a single mum and uh, I got pregnant as a teenager, and then I ended up being close to a hundred kilos. Are you kilos or pounds? You're kilos where you are, aren't you? Yes, two hundred. That's two hundred something pounds. So I was really big, and I was on a benefit, and I was going nowhere. And I was outside talking to the neighbours one day, and the husband picked up some weeds, and he threw them over onto my backyard, and I just thought what the heck, do you think I'm worthless? And then I went inside and realized that was it me who thought, was I the worthless one? So I sat on my bed, then I lay on my bed and I just started crying and crying and just felt so sorry for myself or just angry or frustrated. I don't know what it was. My son was two. He came in and he he said, what, like, what's wrong in his own, you know, he didn't know what was wrong with his mummy. And he gave me his cuddly and he said, Ongi's going to fix it, Ongi fix it. And I sat up and I thought, oh my God, gosh, get your act together, Hillary. You know, I wasn't even being a mum, not a good mum, not really. And I wasn't looking after myself or him. And it was a bit of a realization that I had to make some changes or that would be my life. And so overcoming that was, it was kind of like, it was just like a switch went off because I had a normal upbringing off a farm, but you know, I had three brothers, three sisters, which is quite a lot, but we had a, a pretty good, we weren't, like wealthy, we were farm kids. So we just had a normal upbringing, you know, vegetables in the garden and that sort of thing. But I went to primary school with nine people on my first day. So I'm from right out in the middle of nowhere, but I'd gone down a road and somehow ended up there. And it was that realization that I had to make a change that was the change that I made. And that was just, then that's when I started that whole, just doing one thing, doing the next, starting by renovating and then, you know, going to the gym and then deciding I wanted to be the teacher and waiting for Tanya, her name was to fall off the stage. So she would sprain her ankle so I could get up there and, and then just 
it was a switch. It was a switch that I just realized I had to change. Otherwise, my future would be terrible. Yeah, I think everybody has a certain turning point. You, you talked uh, uh, multiple times already about like fitness in the gym, right? Like for me, I've been going to the gym like consistently over, let's say over 15 years, I think. Uh, and, the, and the turning point for me was I, I was uh, trying to try out for the uh, football team. So uh, this is American football, not, not soccer. And uh, I had one practice. And then the next day I was so out of shape. Like I, like I couldn't survive that one practice. I woke up and I was super sore and it was like, oh, this is not good. Like I'm 15 and like I'm already like this out of shape. Uh, so that made me start uh, getting uh, into a gym regimen. Uh, so there was a couple of uh, friends of mine and we, there's a gym in the, in the school. So we went a few times a week after school and that helped me build a habit. And it also goes back to what you said about having a support group because Starting a gym by yourself, a lot of people drop off. The gym I go to, like during January, there's a lot of people that go by themselves and the, the salesman will tell them about the equipment and stuff. They usually have a 30-day trial. They might go a few times and then in February hits, I don't see them again, right? So because they're doing it on their own, they don't have an accountability partner. Uh, so I think the combination of like realizing I, I'm so out of shape for a teenager and then having the accountability with um, a couple of friends to go to the gym at the same time, I think that helped me set uh, the habit that I have for the past 15 years. Wow, that's amazing. But what's interesting there is you had that realization at 15 and most people aren't that reflective or self-aware. So you must have a huge self-awareness to come to that realization at 15 and then create that habit with friends that you've been able to maintain. That's epic. I love it. Yeah. And when, when you're a child, uh, you, you tend to have, it's easier to develop habits, but then as you get older, it, it's hard to break those um, habits you had when you were a kid. So from your perspective and your um, expertise, how can someone break old habits and make new ones to make them a better person? I am of the belief that we don't do too much too soon. So I would write down the habits that you have that you don't like and there might be 50, who cares, <laughs> write them all down. And maybe if it's around, if it's around going to the gym or, you know, you might be able to bunch them off. You know, some might be around the way you eat. Some might be around the way you go to bed at night. Some might be around the way you exercise, whatever they are, group them. And then I would also write down the good habits that you have, because it's really important that we recognize how awesome we are. Uh, you know, we are awesome. You're awesome. I'm awesome. We're all awesome. But, or if that's the word you use, but I don't think we recognize or give ourselves enough credibility, certainly in New Zealand and Australia. I know the Americans are better at it. I don't know how Canadians are, whether you're a bit more just better with yourself, but we're a bit harder on ourselves here and we, you know, just taught to be humble or it's, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. But look at those bad habits and then just choose one that you want to change or two. Or maybe choose one in the fitness area, one in the eating area, one in the sleeping area, one in the, you know, how you clean up after yourself area, whatever habits that you've got. Maybe if you wanted to watch less television, I think when we go too extreme, like I'm cutting that out altogether, then we don't stick with it. Pick one and then it's the whole, I love James Clear work on this and I don't even think it was his, it was somebody else, I think. The goal is to do it every day and you're allowed to miss once, but you never miss twice. Because we, we have to cut ourselves a bit of slack. So once is okay, just not twice. And then try and get add a habit, add one in, take one out. That's what I put in the book either as well. I mean, you t add a habit in and you take one out. So say you were going to take out um, walking home from work and sitting on the couch and watching television and you're going to replace that with walking home from work and throwing a rugby ball around with your child or 
going to the gym or whatever that is, but then setting yourself up to succeed in that. So that means putting the remote control in a drawer, not leaving it where it was. So it's more difficult to get to. And then when you're going toward it, you at least have that time to go, oh, that's right. I'm doing the rugby ball outside or that's right. I'm going to the gym today. Just set yourself up for success. And once you master that one, then you can add something else in. That's the way I like to do it. You said like uh, you can miss once, but never twice. What's your opinion in terms of like, let's say someone wants to quit smoking. Uh, that's a common one. Some try to just quit cold turkey, which obviously doesn't work because of the cravings. Some say gradually decrease it. So if you smoke like three a day, maybe do two for like a certain period of time and then do one. And then at that point, maybe go to nicotine gum and then you maybe look at that way. Uh, what's your opinion of that thinking? So is it better to try to quit cold turkey or try to gradually decrease it till it's zero? Have you been a smoker? No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying as okay. a, a question. Okay, well, yeah. so I have been a smoker and uh, many years ago, I haven't, sm- I haven't smoked in a long time now, but I would stop and start pretty much, I've tried all of the methods, reducing, then cold turkey and everything. And then something would happen and I'd go back to it. I do think a lot of it's around the habits around smoking. It's not just smoking itself. So I think when you're giving up, you need to look at the habits that trigger that and the people that you're around. So there's a bit more to it. But for me, because smoking is such an addiction, we're also addicted to the nicotine, not just the habit of smoking. I ended up getting hypnotized, believe it or not, and it worked. Who would have thought? I even went into the hypnosis thing, doing it for a friend who'd started a business. She said, would you just do this and give me a testimony? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then before she came, I had three cigarettes left. I smoked them that morning. And I thought, oh, have I got time for another one? None left. She came and I said, oh, she put down this white sheet and did a hypnosis thing on me. And oh, sorry, it was red actually. And then she said, um, you'll, you'll probably find when you see red now, you'll have a reaction. Well, none of that happened. But what did happen was I never smoked again. And I I said to her, I'm so sorry, I've slept through the whole thing. And she said, how long did it feel like? I said, 20 minutes? And she said, no, you've been under for over an hour or it was about an hour and five minutes or something. And I never smoked again. So So hypnosis worked for me, but I don't know. I really, smoking's a tough one. It covers more than just the habit. It's also an addiction. Yeah, uh, going back to what you said, it may be not just the smoking, it's the environment associated. So if you have a bad habit, uh, it might be just the environment that you surround yourself with. A good example is like, if, if you buy chips at home, uh, and you always buy chips, uh, they're always easily accessible. So you always want to like munch down. But if you stop buying chips, then you have to like, if you want chips, then you have to go to the store and like buy them, right? So then you have to take a trip. So you make it in a way you, you make it hard for you to get the habit when it becomes when there's a lot of obstacles uh, that you have to go through to in order to uh, perform that bad habit. Yeah, that's why I said about put the TV the remote in a drawer because you can't. You're probably always going to have a television, but by putting in the remote away, you're adding that extra step, like you're saying, making it more difficult. A couple of years ago, my partner and I we were just launching another a course that we do in the property development space, and um, we just had a lot of work to do and so we actually picked up our television and turned it around the other way for two weeks because it took two of us to pick it up and turn it around and then we couldn't it meant that we couldn't watch television at night and it was like okay we'll just get this done and we just got it done and you know we're not sort of finished work five o'clock people have dinner by six we'll finish work at sort of 7 30 have dinner by 8 30 but we, it just stopped us doing that and it was yeah it was it was quite a good way to add that extra step because it would have taken both of us to turn it around and you know it, it definitely changed the environment because had he watched television and it only been me it would have been far easier for me to stop and just park up beside him and flick on a show 
Going back to what you said about um, being humble and not really, we tend to not give ourselves a lot of credit. We always focus on the negative and what we need to work on, but we don't really focus on the positive. So like, what's your opinion about like having like positive like, affirmations to like make yourself more confident? Because you said uh, when we first talked today about like when you have a few glasses of wine, you tend to be more upbeat and more confident, right? And your program and your coaching is to have that uh, mindset without the alcohol. So how, how can people become more positive when they're always focusing on the negative? I think there's numerous ways, but what I do know is we have to always change them. Because say we put a sign up, say we have a note on your mirror, because I, I buy those mirror pens. Sometimes I'll write something on my mirror. I might write on the outside of the shower. I might have it on my um, laptop in front of me when I'm working. You know, it could be just a sticky note here. It could be anything. But the key is to, and there's research behind this, is to is to constantly change it because we get used to seeing it. So I'll change, it might be a reminder comes up on my phone at a certain time, but that time needs to change sort of in seven days. So otherwise, oh, a bleep bleep goes off. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's a reminder for me to high five myself and say, you got this girl, but we get used to doing that. So we have to constantly change up the reminders that we are doing a fabulous job and we're freaking amazing people. We really are. And the more that you tell yourself, the more that you think it, the better life is. In the book, I talk about result spirals and it's something I came up with. It's mine. I should put a copyright thing on it. Trademark, trademark. <laughs> trademark, trademark on that one. So I, we have positive and negative results uh, spirals. So let's just say you wake up. Well, the example I give in the book is one of the, somebody has to get a prescription from the pharmacy and they've finished work and they drive to the pharmacy and it's raining and there's no park outside and they're like, damn. And the only park is one that's you know, not really allowed to park in and they remember seeing a sign that the council was clamping down on that and they'd probably get a fine and so she parks the car there as she gets out she hears a man go I'm not supposed to women park there and you know she sort of gets wet running in the pharmacy and she's flustered and annoyed and angry because she's rushing and she hands the prescription over and the pharmacist feels her negative energy, also looks at the time and thinks, well, I've got to work an extra five minutes tonight and that's thanks to your disorganization. And then there's just a whole negative feeling there. And then she leaves there, gets in her car, whether or not she has a ticket, it's irrelevant, drives off, but gets a phone call from her partner, husband, and he says, you were supposed to pick me up tonight. And she's like, oh, damn. And she's already frustrated. So she went into that situation in a negative space. So you the same situation. You're going to the pharmacy, look at your watch. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to be late. You see the car park. You don't think, oh, I'm not supposed to park there. You go, epic, car park. You pull in. Because you went in there in that space, you don't hear the muttering person because you've you just don't hear that sort of thing. You, you, you've got, you come from a positive place. You run in, you're like, oh my gosh, I've just made it. I know I'm going to make you work five minutes late. Is that going to be okay? She's more likely to go, damn you, but okay then. She'll do it. She'll go, oh, have you seen the latest this? You start chatting to her. You, you'll talk about a new makeup, a perfume, whatever. You get it, you jump in your car, you reverse out, your, your husband or partner rings and he says, hey, you're supposed to pick me up. You go, oh my gosh, oh crikey, I'm just on my way. I got the prescription. I forgot that, picked up. And he's like, well, you'll shout and you go, okay it's my shout it's the same situation you just go into it from a different place and when we go into things in a positive way we have positive things happen when we go into things in a negative way we have more negative things happen we notice negative things we expect them to happen they're more likely to happen and the more we notice them the more down we get the more negative we get the more we notice the positive the happier we get the more positive our life becomes 
positive and negative result spirals. We are what we focus on, right? Uh, a good example is you buy a car, let's say you buy like a white Honda. The first couple of weeks you have the white Honda, you see other white Hondas, right? Because that's what you're focused on because you just bought that car, right? It's the same thing. Like if you think that you're going to fail and you focus on failure, you will end up failing because you're not uh, focusing on the success. Yeah. And even if you didn't technically get the tick of, I got it right, you don't see it as failure. You see it as, okay, I, I did that bit wrong. I'll go again. And this is what I learned from it. You know, we, when we start seeing things differently, life is different. And in terms of seeing um, differently, to wrap up our conversation today, Hillary, what, what is some like lasting advice that you can leave in terms of changing your mindset and uh, having a plan in 2024 to help these people achieve uh, their career, business, and personal goals? My mantra is CBA, clarity, belief, action. We have to be clear about what we want. We really have to have, well, the clarity creates that focus that we just spoke of, you know, and go into that focus positively. We are what we focus on. You'll get what you think about. We can see it basically as the law of attraction, but there are two things. The law of attraction requires action. So, you know, the word traction, the action is in there, but we have to believe that it's possible for us. So, you have to have that unshakable belief that what you want is possible. And it is, there's no reason that it's not. So be ultra clear, be incredibly positive about the fact that you can do it. And you might not do it the first time. It might take two goes or three goes, but it doesn't matter. Most people never did anything straight away. Edison, the light bulb, how it was like a thousand times. We just brush away other people's successes and think they did it overnight. There is no overnight success. We all worked really hard to get where we want to be. And then lastly, we have to take action. So without action, nothing happens. Be clear, believe it's possible, take action. C-B-A. There are my takeaway words. That's a great way to end our conversation today, Hillary. So how can people uh, buy your book or reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Well, I will be launching the Evolve program hopefully shortly, but that's one of those probably <laughs> next year things I'm thinking now. The book is available through... I think Barnes and Noble for those overseas. You can definitely get it on Amazon. And yeah, it's definitely available on Amazon. And if you're in Australia or New Zealand, you can get it um, from my website. I did post one to Canada the other day, but no, I think it's better off going on Amazon from there. Otherwise, check out my website, hillarysaxon.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my podcast, Bounce Back Better. Also, just reach out to me and let me know that I've inspired you in some way because that inspires me to help more people. So I just love people to just feel an energy and go for it. And I just need to say to you as well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciated it. Thanks, Hillary. And I hope uh, people who are listening right now who struggle in 2023 will have a bounce back year in 2024. Yay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, join my exclusive Dream Job Accelerator community on school. In this community, I conduct live weekly job search training sessions alongside offering regular insightful job search advice. My goal is to equip you with the most effective strategy to expedite your job search journey. Simply visit school.com and search for Dream Job Accelerator Community, or you can conveniently find the direct link in the show notes. Joining is straightforward and it could significantly transform your job search experience. Thank you once again for tuning in, and until next time.